Welcome back to the Taiku Podcast. The whole crew is here. Chris, Corey, say hello. Hi. 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 And we are here to talk about one of the latest Hollywood reveals of assholes in Hollywood. David O. Russell's movie, The Three Kings, which is a good movie by a terrible person. <laughs> Not about a terrible person, by a terrible person. So, um, this is the continuation of our break from Kurosawa. Uh, this is a November episode, so the December episode will probably be... Actually, I have no idea. Oh, I have Yoda. Drunken Angel. It's going to be Yoda and Drunken Angel. And then we'll take a break for our year-end reviews of stuff. Chris, your favorite episode. Yay. Um, and we'll be back to, on the Kurosawa train with whatever like, sports anime I think of. I don't know. Um, Two car. Uh, yes. Bakuon. We will have two car and not Bakuon. <laughs> so fired. <laughs> um, but until then, we were, we were talking about three games later on the show. We'll have, uh, Helen on with Chris and we were talking about Fastest Finger first. Until then, it's the three games. And Chris, I've been telling you to watch something else by David O. Russell for a while. And you have refused. It's not that I refuse, it's just. It was never high enough priority for me to to interrupt my very busy schedule of horror trash movies. horror movies <laughs> to to sit down with these these older David O. Russell movies. And I have uh, a love hate relationship with David O. Russell's movies, and that's just in terms of the quality of his movies because I keep seeing them and I keep being like disappointed because it is all of the. Uh, all of the things on the sleeve for what David Russell's movies were good at, but none of the substance of Three Kings or I Heart Heartbeats in things like American Hustle or Joy. And I'm filled with non-joy. <laughs> but this is the thing. Yeah. What? Yeah, so, like, I the only David O. Russell movies I've ever seen are the newer ones starting after The Fighter and I Heart Huckabees. And so, like, I watched... The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle. I didn't see Joy. And I like those movies, and I think they're good, entertaining movies. But I remember our I Heart Huckabees was always like, that was, that movie was the shit. Like, that, it was saying stuff, and it was doing things way more interestingly than any of his later movies. And you and everybody else were like, well, the rest of his movies from the I Heart Huckabee's era are just that good, so now you understand why we're upset. But I never went and watched them, so I never quite understood why you guys were upset. <laughs> <laughs> you understand now? Uh, a little bit. A little bit better. All right, all right. Uh, and then, uh, so it's the, the Three Kings. Actually, it's just Three Kings. Three Kings, I Heart Huckabee's, uh, Flirting with Disaster, which is not related to the Molly Hatchet song, and uh, Spanking the Monkey, which is uh, one, out of print, and I've never seen it, and two, with uh, What's-His-Face from Two and a Half Men. Charlie Sheen? Yes. He is in Spanking the Monkey? Yeah. 
I was thinking Charlie Hunnam, and I'm like, nope, that's not right. I don't see Charlie Sheen on here. I'm pretty sure he was in Spanking the Monkey. He's not on the main cast list on IMDb. Okay. Maybe I'm incorrect. This Jeremy Davies guy, whoever the heck he is, he's got front billing. Hmm. He's just a Charlie Sheen lookalike. He does, that, that, that cover does kind of have a, a Charlie Sheen quality to it. Yeah. Anyway, that movie is apparently very good. I want to see it, but I will never see it because it's that print. So those movies are, uh, they have substance, you know. Uh, I don't know what Spanking the Monkey's about, but Flirting with Disaster is about uh, Ben Stiller, and he finds out he's adopted and he wants to find his real parents, and it's just this story of uh, identity and craziness in the way that only David O. Russell pre-2004 can make. Then Three Kings is about, uh, it was made in 1999, but it's about Desert Storm in the early 90s. And uh, it is trying to comment on, you know, the the ongoing stasis of war and how horrifying it is and uh, how much grandstanding there is and a whole bunch of other stuff that we'll get into later. And then I Heart Huckabees is... Uh, actually, I don't remember as much about that movie as the other two. <laughs> the, I, think, I think the main plot was like it dealt with like existential dread or something with the state of the world and trying to reconcile that inside your mind with existentialism because that was what Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman's characters were they were like existential psychiatrists and just uh, Jason Schwartzman was just like anxious all the time because the world was shit <laughs> and they put him in that bag the blank bag. yeah uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember all the details of that one. Yeah, it's Gosh. been a really long time. Um, this, this is Three Kings, and what is Three Kings about, Chris? You want to get your traditional thing? Uh, sure. So, uh, Three Kings takes place at the very end of Operation Desert Storm in 1991. Uh, like literally, it's the day of the ceasefire. And while our absolutely terrible American soldiers are going around harassing, beating, and uh, stripping the Iraq, I think they were soldiers. Uh, it wasn't really clear if they were just Iraqi civilians in that area or if they were specifically Saddam's army. While they're doing this, they find a map shoved up one dude's ass and another map shoved up in his penis. Um, they... they <laughs> They remove them and find that it is uh, a map showing where the the bullion that was stolen from Kuwait is uh, hidden throughout Iraq. Um, and by bullion, I do not mean these little little cubes that you put in <laughs> water to make soup. Uh, <laughs> giant, giant gold bars. Uh, thank you, Spike Jones. He didn't go um, to high school. Forgive him. Don't tell him that. Conrad's an idiot. <laughs> Um, and so breaking away and literally like going AWOL and running away from the army, you have uh, a major who's two weeks away from retirement, played by George Clooney. You have a hot-headed uh, sergeant, played by Mark Wahlberg. Are we shooting have, people or what? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy who didn't go to high school who wants to be Mark Wahlberg, played by Spike Jones. Uh who most people would know Spike Jones as a director who makes really good movies. Uh, I didn't know that he actually acted in anything until this movie. 
Um, and and then there's also a staff sergeant played by the greatest dude in the world, Ice Cube, who I will be so sad if it turns out that Ice Cube is even like just terrible. Um, Ice Cube is taking a four month paid vacation from Detroit. That was probably my favorite introduction um, in the movie. And so these four soldiers, they just get in a truck, drive off to the nearest village because they figure, hey, we can just steal one stash of bullion and they will be able to just retire. Uh, while they're there, a very seven samurai type scenario unfolds where the village is under occupation by Saddam's army because of Iraqi rebel forces are stationed inside of this village. But because of the ceasefire, the uh, Saddam's army and the Americans, like they can't do anything to each other. So the four soldiers, they are watching while the Saddam's army is murdering and torturing and kidnapping these people. Eventually, George Clooney has a, a bad case of conscience and they kill a couple of the Iraq soldiers and then all hell breaks loose while they're trying to. Saddam's army soldiers specifically. Yeah. And then they're trying to, to save the Iraqi refugees and rescue Mark Wahlberg and somehow get away with their millions and millions of extremely heavy gold bars. Kuwaiti bullion. Yes. Which Saddam had stolen from Kuwait. Yes. Yep. Uh, gosh, this movie has so much going on, like, in just throwaway lines, or what seem like throwaway lines. Uh, like, the the thing that I quoted after Chris and Chris Mark Wahlberg, are we shooting people or what, is the opening lines of the movie being, like... Uh, a guy, yeah, with a guy waving a white flag. Yeah. And uh, that's, like, you know, they're at war, but they don't know what that really means, you know. Uh, and Conrad, being an idiot, is like, you shot the guy and, you know, went straight through his head, head through, flew three feet in the air or whatever. And he's uh, uh, embellishing the event, even though he just shot him and seems to have hit some sort of neck muscle or neck vein that is bleeding out very badly and they die. But there is other, other little lines, like Conrad saying, this is the quote from him. Lord knows what kind of vermin live in the bug of a dune coon. And uh, Ice Cube eventually walks in and says, I want to hear a dune coon, dune coon or sand N-word from him or anybody else. So Conrad says, Captain uses those terms. And Ice Cube says, that's not the point, Conrad. The point is that Towelhead and Camel Jockey are perfectly good substitutes. Like, they're not getting at the uh, racism of the moment. They're getting at, like, acceptable racism of the moment. Yeah, that didn't come across like as a commentary on that. It, I don't know. That came across racist as me, not as like oh, that's definitely social racist, commentary. Like they're yeah. talking about. No, I meant like it came across like the material itself. Like, like this wasn't like satire or something. Wow, that's a that's an odd reading. No, it's definitely satire. So, so, so you have Ice Cube because he's like the one black guy in the whole movie. Oh yeah, I know. So, 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 so. Well, there's a, there's another black guy. Right. Well, well, yeah, McKelty Williamson, he's awesome. But, but no. So, the two pejoratives that Ice Cube denounces, he denounces them because they're also pejoratives used against black people, like in America and stuff. That's why he denounces them. Oh yeah. Um, the, the two but... that he states that are okay is because they're very specific. To, to Arabs. 
it's, 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 it's talking about that. That's, that's a display of hypocrisy that, that these yeah, pajoratives the are okay. Movie is, uh, the, the whole movie is white savior American benevolence. So it doesn't come across like as a sincere criticism of like what, what's, you know, quotes, okay racism and what's not, the, you know, not movie, okay racism. The movie, yeah, is that. But Ice Cube, in this scene, Ice Cube walks in as the only black guy and says the thing that Chris says. So this scene is specifically commenting on that. In the greater context of the movie, it might not have as much impact, but when you're watching that scene, that's what it's trying to convey. Corey, I'm going to imagine you're nodding your head. <laughs> no, I mean, I know it just doesn't... Like, I, I feel like this was written from, like... Uh, uh, like a more racist perspective. It, like it wasn't like, like it's it's definitely showing the, the ignorance, like the 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 duality of like, you know, who who has control over like what what constitutes you know, okay racism or not. Like who's you know, who are you allowed to look down on? It, I don't know. It's like even because like obviously not racism but like the there's only two women in the whole movie and one of them is just a sex object and then the other one also has to deal with sexism and sexual advances i don't know i didn't think it was a great movie i like it like i think i think its strongest point well i don't have like the most uh I don't have a lot of knowledge about the Gulf War, but I think it's commentary on like what was the whole point if we we're just gonna go in there and liberate Kuwait, but who gives a shit about the Iraqi people and you know Saddam's reign? Uh like that I think is poignant. It's just like everything else was just like uh this isn't good. <laughs> so what what uh specifically didn't didn't you like about the movie? Just you know, the the sexism, the uh, the white savior messiah crap. Um, the like, the they go in, they go into this as thieves. Like we're gonna steal this shit, and then it's like, oh no, wait, actually we're the good guys now. We're gonna we're gonna save all these people. We're not actually terrible. I, I think I think you're reading it. I think you're reading it right, but you're reading it sideways. It's not white savior bullshit. Yeah, like three of the four lead characters are white, but it, this is not like fucking uh, Dances with Wolves or Avatar. Um, th- th- it is absolutely not this white savior bullshit. It's it's like it's it, the war itself was stupid. It was bullshit. They they sent all of our troops over there and like nothing happened. Like and then they we just dropped bombs on everybody and just like with the war in Afghanistan that the George Bush that is not referenced constantly in this movie started that still goes on today. Like we're just going in and bombing and murdering all these people. It's about these soldiers who are implicit in these horrific actions, figuring out what is actually right and what they, and what they've been doing is wrong. It's, it's not about, Oh, only the white man can save the Iraqi guys. It's about, no, we're the white American dudes who are evil and fucking shit up. And they, they learn, they get, they get the conscience and say, wow, what we've been doing is fucked up. 
and the way that we have been ignoring the real problem here in Iraq is fucked up. Any person, it doesn't matter who you are, if if you have any kind of good soul, you would say you would say I need to do what's right in this situation. And it's about these people learning about what is right and doing what is right. It's not meant to be, oh, only the white man can save the Iraqi people. That's absolutely not what's going on in this movie. And I think saying, like, white saviorism is a little off, just because there is the token black guy in Ice Cube and also the, uh, what was he, a major or a captain? The other, the one other black guy? Uh, he was a lieutenant or that? lieutenant colonel. Colonel, okay. Yeah, he so, was the highest ranking guy um, in that platoon. They have those two, so it's not necessarily white saviorism, it's American saviorism, which I think is something as a part of a larger problem in Desert Storm and then later in the, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, Iran, wherever the fuck else we are. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, America can save the can save the world. America is right. God bless the USA, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, uh, and what does that one guy say? He doesn't say United States of America when they walk by. They say United States of Freedom. Right. Yeah. Uh, and George Clooney's character says, Bush told the people to rise up against Saddam. They thought they have our support. They don't. Now they're getting slaughtered. And like, that's uh, ostensibly the thesis of this movie. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. I, I don't know. I still don't think it's... I don't Because, like... George Clooney's whole speech is just like so self-serving and he's like oh it's like necessity we do what's necessary and stealing all this gold is necessary and right. it's like oh no way you know we're we're going to be you know champions of the oppressed you know these oppressed like poor colored people well so i think the way that you're phrasing these things yeah you can see the bullet holes through through the idea but George Clooney gives that speech about necessity at the beginning before shit gets fucked up and they, they change and their perspectives change as the movie goes along. That's, that's the character arc going from A to B. The, that stupid speech is A where they don't care and oh yeah, God bless the USA. We're here to save everybody. Oh fuck them. They're on their own now. This is what we're supposed to do. And that changes to the second half of the movie where that's no longer what they believe and that's not George Clooney's perspective anymore. The the movie wouldn't be interesting if they were how they are at the end of the movie at the beginning of the movie. There wouldn't be the story to tell. No, it just feels so, I don't know, how he's able to change his convictions so quickly is a little... Well, he's able to change it so quickly because he watched Saddam's army kill uh, an unarmed and innocent mother right in front of their eyes. And, like, when the point is when they're uh, at base, they don't see these atrocities happen. They can imagine they don't happen. But when they see it right in front of them, they can't just stand by and do nothing. Like, this kind of conviction was always in front of them, but they never saw the action next said we have to do something about it. They just said, this is never happening. I don't know. Just <laughs> sounds self-serving. <laughs> I don't know, because that, that just gives, like, like that removes responsibility from themselves and puts it on, like, the other people in the world to, like, show them that they're wrong. 
Like, there's no, like, like self-reflection on their part? Well, the way that pe- most people work, they do need to be shown. People don't evolve I mean, and change magically on their someone's own. Someone's wife, like, shot in the head right in front of you is a little extreme. Right. But this is a war zone. It's going to be extreme. And it wasn't until later on in the movie when Mark Wahlberg, when Marky Mark is being tortured, and the dude is like, hey, I joined the army to support my family, and you fucking came and bombed us, so yeah, I fucking hate you, and I'm going to murder you. And Mark Wahlberg's like... I irony. Well, it's not really irony, though. That's It's no, the same it's idea. No, it's irony. Like, well, his, because... his speech helps Mark Wahlberg understand things in a different light, because Mark Wahlberg was basically still the holdover after Ice Cube and George Clooney, their perspectives were shifting. Mark Wahlberg's perspective wasn't shifting because he was taken prisoner. Like that speech helps him understand better. It's it's all about outside things changing a person. Cause like I said, a person can't just magically think differently. There, there has to be a catalyst and that's true in real life too. I'm not saying there doesn't need to be. Well, this conversation became a counter. <laughs> I mean, you can no, keep going. Like, so, so I didn't, I didn't absolutely love the movie either. You know, I thought it was. I fine. mean, it was, it was, uh, it kept my attention. It's just, you know, I felt like it. It's, it's just, it felt like stuff like, yeah, I've already, I've already seen, I've already, I've already seen this. Like, white man saves brown man. Yeah, I, I think that that I think that perception is entirely wrong. It's not supposed to be white man saves brown man. And they don't. Uh, but I mean, we but do. we have seen this movie before. Where did we see this movie before? Oh well, my main draw is is the anti war message. Which watch any Vietnam War movie, and it's basically that same perspe- perspective shift. And anything to do that's based in the Vietnam War, because the the Gulf Coast Wars in the early 90s was basically the same thing as the Vietnam War, a stupid, pointless, terrible act. Um, yeah, so um, Phil Kurt Hulk had this really good article a year or two ago about uh, David O. Russell. He called it the fall rise of David O. Russell because his early movies were really good, but they weren't, were not that financially successful. And his later movies were not as good, and they were very financially successful. And he says, uh, at times, it, The Three Kings is the best wartime satire since Strangelove. Quote, are we shooting people or what? And other times, it's an earnest plea for human empathy among the rubble. It bounces between those two aims with surprising grace and somehow embodies an attitude that is once sophomorically political and fervor, but also complicated enough to justify that fervor by exploring the human condition. That sounds really complicated, but it's just a way of saying that he makes the old cliches about war and the moat and the need to feel empathy like the most important thing in the universe, probably because they are. It's like, yeah, Three Kings is one of one big obvious metaphor for the American motives in Kuwait, but you will rarely see a metaphor made more compelling, funny, and vivid. And I think that's like what really draws me to the movie, is because the the dialogue is so like almost frenetic, very back and forth, and seems to be constantly moving between something said that's relatively profound and something said that's really funny. Like, they're they're talking about uh, the dude's wife being a double amputee and that's affecting George Clooney and Spike Jones and Ice Cube. And then uh, 
the other guy, Saeed, is talking about, um, uh, no, he was talking about his wife being a WMPTA, and also, what is the problem with Michael Jackson, which eventually boils down to, well, white people fucked him up. And then the, the prisoner guy basically just has to say, you know, you saw, well, he doesn't really say much, but, like, he saw his wife get shot, and they saw his wife get shot. So what are they going to do about that? And also their friend is captured by Sigon's army. See, I think the the, 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 the more comedic aspects um, that's delivered in the dialogue, I think that kind of got lost because I felt that the subject matter was more weighty. So when the dude was going off about the king of pop, I thought that was very strange until he made his point, And I was like, yeah, no, that's true. Um, and and kind of the same thing. Like they, they they tried to to have that comedic, uh, more satiric feel littered throughout, but I think for me the film got too too weighty um, for for that to to really fire for me. So it, it seemed odd whenever they tried to interject more comedy bits, but it's like it's too late for that. You, you should have dropped that in the first act and just went full forward. All those moments to me were like uncomfortable after. Kind of like I found them funny, but it's like you shouldn't be joking about this funny. Yeah, and and one of the things that I thought was really interesting um, in the movie that like it happens so fast, um, so it, it it's going along with the whole talking about how America thinks they're so good and so great, and they're in this war to you know liberate the Kuwaitis and everything, but n- nothing actually of value occurs um, in Iraq. I don't know everything about the, the Gulf War, so I don't know how the Kuwaitis were liberated or whatever, but the fighting was in Iraq. And that's what this is talking about is the Iraqi people are still oppressed and treated terribly. Um, while this is all going on, there's a quick shot where the camera moves across the TV screen inside the, uh, the Saddam uh, army bunker and it's newsreel footage of the beating of Rodney King, which that stood out to me so much more uh, powerfully than any of the times where they were trying to convey things through through dialogue, because that same kind of oppression it was literally happening in America at the exact same time that these people are are in Iraq trying to bring freedom, but they're not, they're not doing anything of actual use. It's, it's just still going to be terrible. And so I thought that that like quick shot, like that was really smart and powerful to put in there, but it happens so fast that it almost, it almost doesn't register. Like I, I did how many people that have seen this movie caught that? Uh, Cause that's, that's an interesting bit of commentary that deserves to, to have had, more screen time or more attention brought to it so that the, the parallels could be drawn better. Um, that was one of the things that, that like didn't really work for me was this wasn't fuck America enough. Uh, but it really got there towards the end. But that Rodney King moment, that was a really important message to bring up. And it was treated as a, a side thing, kind of like the King of pop dialogue where, Oh, it's kind of funny but it's just a piece of dialogue and it doesn't really stick with you. Yep. Corey, uh, you're talking about when, when was this moment where his, uh, kind of surface level speech on necessity changed? 
and and that's when like he starts shooting Saddam's army. They start shooting him, and they say, "Load people into the Humvee." Troy says, "There's no room. Make room. What happened to necessity? It just changed." And like that's that's the moment when they see see all this shit happen. That's the moment when they realize this shit is always happening, and that's when they realize they can actually do something about it. Mm, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> do you have thoughts uh, and feelings? <laughs> no, I I just take the whole thing with a huge amount of skepticism. Because of David O. Russell himself, or that, and so he know. didn't write the movie, right? And I don't think. I mean, yes, he's an awful person, but I don't think necessarily his sexism, transphobia, or whatever should affect his commentary on war, even though it definitely does. Let's see. So the story was by John Ridley. Uh, let's see. He wrote. Uh, he ended up writing Red Tails and Twelve Years a Slave. So the initial story was from this guy, but David O. Russell did flesh it out to the screenplay with the dialogue. So taking David O. Russell feelings into account is 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 moderately valid. And this is very much David O. Russell dialogue based on flirting with disaster three kings. I mean, and Howard Huckabee's, and even his later movies, he has this same kind of dialogue. That's very fast, very back and forth. John Ridley also did. American Crime Story. The OJ season? Uh, Sounds like Russell basically did the whole thing. Wait, there's just something else called American Crime. That's not American Crime Story. But yeah, my impression is also that David Russell did basically the whole thing on this. Well, it says uh, he claimed that he never read Ridley's script so as not to, quote, pollute my own idea. But he admits that Quote, John gets credit where it's due. The germ of the idea that I took was his. Uh, okay. What a selfish asshole. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's, nobody's disputing this. Nobody will ever... No, it's, it's just, like, like, I think it's not, it's not race, like, I'm not, like, I think, like, I feel like... Uh, like it may not be racist to black people, but I feel like it may be racist to Arabic people. See, I, I, like, I, I, like I there's don't, some, there's I, some moments in the movie where it's like, okay, but it's like I, I don't know if I can take it on face value. Like there's a moment where they're all walking uh, together to go get the cars, and fucking Conrad <laughs> says. Uh, Oh, I thought we were taught to kill all Arabs, and then everyone's just like, "No, you're a fucking idiot." Yeah, that, that, I, that's that kill... character's purpose. Right, but it's like I don't know if I can take that on face value, given the rest of the movie. I think the rest of the movie outweighs Conrad. Conrad is definitely he—he he is the racist shithole American who joins the fucking army to go kill the towel heads. Trust me, that like that is a real thing, and I've seen so many of these people. I used to work on a military base during the uh, start of the Afghanistan war. Like, no, he is definitely a very racist, disgusting creature. Um, but I think the rest of the movie outweighs that because that's where Ice Cube's constant comments about like this dumb motherfucker never finished high school. Like, this is why he's stupid. This is why he is the way he is. Um, it seems like yeah, okay, that could be making excuses. But 
that extreme hatred and negativity is funneled through this one very terrible character. Um, and the rest of the movie is trying to, to counterbalance that without, without saying that there aren't people like this because there are the rest of the movie is trying to counterbalance that with saying, you know, no, there is good in the world. You know, we're, we were stupid. This is actually what's right. I don't, I don't, I think conflict, it, having a racist character, and so this is one of the things that always happens in media, especially the last couple of years that I really greatly dislike, um, because it's very difficult to tell. If, if a movie is being racist or if it just has racist characters and depictions, the definition between the two gets way too clouded far too easily nowadays. Everybody is trying to be really sensitive about the subject and that's, that's a good thing. But you, you, you make a movie or you tell a story about a horrible rapist and it's like, oh wow, this movie's all rapey and shit. This dude must be want to, you know, have to be thrown in jail because he just wants to rape all the women. No, you can tell a story about these terrible creatures Gone without Gone Girl. Yeah. Without, without having the film be that thing. And that's, it's very difficult to, to make that discernation because there are movies that are like, nope, that is a racist ass movie. Um, so I, I think, I think it's difficult to parse it out, but I don't believe that this movie g- crosses that line. I don't think so either. I think you're right. Like this is a commentary because like the things that Spike Jones character says, is chalked up to him being uneducated, but the things that Ice Cube's character says is often just as racist, if not more racist, toward uh, Arab Americans, and he is that educated, or at least he seems to be well more educated than Conrad. Yeah. I didn't mean just Conrad, though. I just meant that with respect to everything else. Like, I'm not saying you can't make a movie where... You know, some Americans save some Iraqi civilians. I'm just saying, we already got enough stuff like that. Granted, this is 1999, but just, you know, I'm watching it in the context of today, so. Yeah. Well, in in the context of today, I would wager that all this stuff that's very similar about the Americans in Iraq, like that, that is racist bullshit. The fucking American sniper and all that shit. Like that is like no that fuck those movies fuck those movies so so hard or the other movie um, that Mark Wahlberg was recently in about the Boston bomber yeah I that just that trailer pissed me the fuck off so bad Patriots Day I think it was called yeah. um like those movies that that we've gotten recently yeah fuck those movies so hard I think that you I can feel it in this movie that they're, they're trying not, they're trying to do something and say something. They're not oorah America, fuck Arabs, which the more modern movies definitely, definitely are. Ebert writes, uh, strange, the irony in Iraqis killing Iraqis while American gold thieves benefit from their confusion. Uh, Chris, we recently had a conversation about soundtracks in movies and how there's no good soundtracks with, you know, modern tracks. This one uh, doesn't exactly have modern tracks, but I thought it did have a very good soundtrack. What do you think? I did not notice most of the soundtrack because <laughs> it was, it was, it was, most of it was the Arabic rapping. Yeah. So, and so because I don't know any of those songs or I don't know if they're like 
original music or if they were covers of American rap songs, it just it, it just became background noise for me. Um, I, I do think that the uh, use of U2s in God's Country was very funny to use over the credits. Um, uh, but I, I don't remember any of the other music because, yeah, most of it was it didn't mean anything to me. So it was I just, don't remember it either. Oh, All I, the only music I remember is yeah, U two, and then like when they're in the car and Conrad is like trying the to Chicago. find music to play. And I got real disappointed when they didn't play Judas Priest. Judas Priest is terrible anyway. Like Ice what? Cube, I got Ice Cube back here. <laughs> He's in Chicago easy, over, easy over calm yourself down. <laughs> but they did have. Uh, you know, they're driving to, uh, what's, what's the name of the little town? Carbala. I don't think they ever named it. They, it was a, it was a small village outside of Carbala, okay, so they never Carbala. said uh, what the village you was. You know, they're driving there. They're playing I Get Around by the Beach Boys. And like. Oh, right. Yeah. There's the cassette tape. Yep. Okay. And then they play, uh, or they just shot the guy and they're just kind of walking around, it freezes on that moment, and it starts to play I Just Want to Celebrate, and then everyone's uh, partying in a room, drinking alcohol. Uh, Troy is wearing the uh, Arab headscarf. I'm not sure. While name. singing God Bless the USA. Yes, singing God Bless the USA, while I Just Want to Celebrate plays over that, behind an American flag. Like There's a lot going on with the little moments of uh, music they have. But sticking to our conversation earlier, Corey, it's not even modern music in the context of the film, which is a period piece. But it's not like it's not trying to <laughs> tap into nostalgia for that period, though. No, is what I mean. Like this is this is a, a soundtrack that could work if this was a movie from 2003, about 2003. Yeah. Well, no, it very, I I thought this was from 2003 because <laughs> I don't remember this movie coming out at all in '99. Um, I saw I didn't see that many movies in the theaters in 99 because I was a senior in high school. But um, then the, the war in Afghanistan, the, the, the George Bush Jr. war started in 2002. That's when I started hearing about this movie. Um, so I thought that this was from like 2002 or 2003 until earlier today. But no, it. Reminding me of those movies, the Beach Boys song. I didn't like that one too much. I didn't think that fit very well because it started with Mark Wahlberg mumbling the words and it leading into the actual song playing. You didn't like that? No, no. I'm not a big. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, that type of transition. Yeah. No, I, I. I did have. I had a hard time at the beginning of the movie settling into it because of my very strong feelings. Um, it wasn't until that shit started getting real halfway through the movie where I started feeling it. It was, I, I have a very negative reaction to Oorah America is the greatest. And that's what was really heavy. The first 30 minutes setting up the movie. So it, a lot of that stuff didn't really sink in. I'll admit I pulled out my phone a couple times, checked Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, one thing I want to ask you both, both Corey's, especially the Corey who liked the movie so one of the other things um, that I didn't like about the movie was the visual style. Is that just me, or does David O. Russell not understand how to do good slow-mo, and that shit looked weird, and it was very unnecessary oh, and upsetting? He, At the beginning? He, I was going to – I was going to – there's 
There's, not just in the like, beginning. They did it later, in, like during the before right, the the fight where Mark Wahlberg got captured. So not uh, the final fight, but in that fight, I don't like that they part. used it a lot. I was just upset. I remember it at the beginning a lot, and I'm like, is my disc broken? Because earlier, I, yeah, I tried to put it, it into it, the Xbox, and the Xbox froze. <laughs> so I'm when, like, um, near the beginning with George Clooney and the um the helicopter, is it? Did it slow down? Because there was sl- slow down there for me. It was like slow mo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was intentional. The part of David Russell. Okay, because I was because I was watching it. It was also when when they're at the shootout at the town, like when they're gonna run off with the gold. It happened, and I was like, "Is is this just a bad encode on my file?" <laughs> no, it was. It was I, it I could totally believe that. Yeah, it wasn't full slow mo like we're used to seeing slow mo. It was somewhere no, in between. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's also like there's also like weird lighting stuff. Uh, just like the way like the environment looked in some shots. Like it wasn't so every shot. The desert? Like they, yeah. I think the contrast was turned up to wash out the desert. Like so okay. that that kind of looked okay to me. Um, but yeah, no, that visual style, like it seemed to cheapen, like it didn't impact, it didn't create any emotional impact. Like there was this absolutely unnecessary scene where one of the Iraqi refugees dropped one of the gold bars and like it, it cut to the gold bar in that weird 1.5 speed slow-mo hitting the ground. And then it came back up like it was supposed to be this impactful moment. And I know that it was the intent because it was used the shit out of in the trailers um, as like this big impactful moment. And it just did not work with everything that was going around it. Like one cut here, one shot there, or this sequence of not good slow-mo. That's not quite slow-mo. It didn't, it didn't work. So it felt like maybe, you know, Corey's complaints that maybe this isn't the most, uh, honorable of, of, of intense, maybe may, like the, that visual style would help enhance that because it does, it, it, it cheapened it. So. Yeah. I don't uh, know why they did that. Cause it probably, I, they probably thought it looked really cool in 1999, <laughs> but now in 2017 after Zack Snyder, we're just about done uh, with slow mo. Uh, I did think the uh the uh um the insides parts those looked real cool. Like when he um like the first one when he talks about like Sepsis. if you're getting shot like yeah, if you're getting shot like in the abdomen and like shows like an inside and then like the bile goes everywhere, that was really cool. So he about and then the on Wikipedia and Russell said he joked that the gunshots were fired into a real corpse, which everyone had to be like, We didn't fucking do that, please stop talking David or Russell. Oh my god! <laughs> and the and the the lung thing that was really cool looking. I didn't like those. Like really, it it, it felt it it felt so out of place. It, um, it was out of place. I don't know. It just like the visual effects I thought were yeah, really the, cool. Yeah, the CG was well. Well, for 1999, that was actually pretty good CG. It didn't look it didn't look absolutely god awful. I will give. I will say that. It just, it didn't work. I think that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to make you feel out of place because it's trying to show you, or it's trying to put you in that same kind of uncomfortableness that Troy and Conrad are in at the moment. Whether it would succeed or not is another thing, but, you know. I guess. 
<laughs> so apparently, uh, George Clooney read this script, was blown away by it, wanted to be on it, but his only role before this was uh, Dr. Doug Ross in ER. No, you're lying. He had a role in the very super crucially important best movie of the 80s, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, and super secret best movie, Return to Horror High. Don't, don't, don't erase George Clooney's incredible past in the 80s. This is his first quote, like, you know, finger quotes, a big movie. Yeah, I won't. I won't Return of the Killer Tomatoes is a big, a big movie. movie. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> no, no, I mean Three Kings. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I remember watching that and texting you and being like, "Is that George fucking Clooney?" <laughs> <laughs> it's George Clooney's best movie forever. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Russell didn't like to cast Clooney as a role because he called him a TV actor. Sorry, Chris. Uh, this uh-oh. feels like I don't know George Clooney in this feels like so George Clooney like <laughs> I think he's always been George Clooney. I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe that's just how he always is. I don't know. Oh, I'm looking up George Clooney, and there's even more holes in that because he was in From Dusk Till Dawn. There prior, you go. Oh, and that movie's movie. incredible. And don't forget that he was Batman two years before this movie. Mm, wasn't he Nipple Batman though? He was, he was Nipple Batman. That's okay. It was only because of ER he was able to keep a job, I think, <laughs> after Nipple Batman. But uh, Russell wanted Nicolas Cage to be George Clooney's character. Oh, no. Which could be awesome <laughs> or terrible, based on Community's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I'd want to see that movie. Absolutely. Wow. I'm, I'm totally watching this movie with Nick Cage in the George Clooney part. And the sex scene just became even more. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Nicholas Cage. Thank you. Batman Robin. I haven't seen that Batman and Robin movie. I don't think I really need to. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's going to freeze you. It's so good with quotes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't think I need to see that. Um. Well, uh, anyone have any closing thoughts on The Three Kings, Corey? Ice Cube was real cool. Ice Cube is the best. It's true. He was great. I like when he threw that football at the helicopter. <laughs> that was pretty good. And then Conrad's like, Black, blacks work better as wide receivers than quarterbacks. Jesus. What about Warren Moon? Did he say that? I don't remember that. Yeah, it was when they were, when they were driving to the town at the very beginning of the movie and they were throwing oh, shit and shooting oh. it. I think that just like went right over my head. Okay. SMH. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've actually seen Spike Jones because I just know of him as the director. I don't actually know what he looks like and I was just like, wow, this is like a really like terrible version of Owen Wilson. <laughs> I didn't know that was Spike Jones until you said that. Terrible He's also character. Jamie Kennedy. That fucking dude, like, I could have done without him at all in the movie. Yeah. The one that grew Sorry, I was like, he great. looks familiar. And then at the end, it was like Jamie Kennedy. I'm like, oh. He is the, the bolo guy, the stupid one. Yeah. The one that grew up around. That was in, the, like, the dune buggy. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's weird. I think the only movie I've seen that I liked Jenny, Jamie Kennedy in was uh, Can't Hardly Wait. That might be, the, that might be it. I don't know if I've seen 
it's a it's a teen high school movie that came out when when I was in high school, so I have affinities for it. Uh, well, Chris, any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's as great as I had heard that people say it was, but I, w- I was surprised um, when it got to the final act, like like the whole last third of the movie. I was like, this is the movie I wanted the whole time, but I understand that they had to work to it. Um, I just I don't like war movies because of usually what they're about. That's why I like I only like Vietnam War movies. Um, because Vietnam War movies are more like what this movie was about. Commentary. So you like Starship Troopers? Starship Troopers is pretty good, but that, I wouldn't call that a war movie, sir. I mean... It's a science fiction movie. It's a, I'm ta- it's a I'm surrogate about, war movie. I'm talking real real war movies that are actually about real wars. <laughs> oh, I mean, Starship <laughs> I, I, Troopers is also about how war is bad. Yeah, it is about how war is bad. You know what I'm trying to say. Quit trying to... Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I think that's part of why I didn't want to watch this movie um, for the longest time, because I just... Whatever. Uh, but it, it is the type of war movie that I do like because of what it was trying to say. It might be far too rough around the edges to to warrant like the high praise that I had heard, because I remember reading that uh, film Crit Hulk pit, however many years ago that was. Um, and now it's like, well, David O. Russell's terrible. Mark Wahlberg is terrible. Ice Cube and George Clooney just keep on being awesome, please. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I've now actually finally seen it. wasn't as funny as I thought it would be, but it was pretty good. Yeah, it's super funny. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I obviously love this movie. I told you both to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I love the, you know, scathing war commentary in the first 30 minutes. I don't think it was super rah rah war America, blah blah, whatever. Um, it, it did have that, but I think uh, the point of it was uh, more than that. I put up walls. I put up walls so fast. <laughs> And then once you actually get into the weeds of the movie and reveal that these people are not just horrible people trying to steal Kuwait bullion, which was stolen from Kuwait by Saddam Hussein, uh, it, it does turn into something uh, really good and relatively endearing. And uh, David Russell is a good director. Asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> yep. Just don't give him any money. Yeah. I've already bought these movies. It's too late for me. That's okay. I mean, some of the people that worked on the movie deserve to be paid, yeah. but you can't can't really only pay them. Like George Clooney, George definitely George. Ice Cube. Yeah. He deserves to be paid. George Clooney, he said something along the lines of "Life's too short to continue working with someone like David O. Russell." It, didn't they like get into like an actual fist fight? Or yeah. Shit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was. Uh, I have the article open. So, um, they're shooting the climax of the movie. Uh, helicopters, explosions, gunfire, it's chaos and madness. And George sees David talking to the extras assistant director. And it looks like he's yelling at him, but he's yelling to be heard. George comes running over and goes, I told you, motherfucker. If you're going to pick on somebody, pick on me. And David goes, why don't you just fucking remember your lines for once? And boom, they grab each other and they're tussling. <laughs> God. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. 
Yep. Um, well, uh, let's, let's close this thing out. Corey, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, on the Twitters, CoreyZone and Corey.Zone is a website. Cool. You can go there on the internet. Cool. And we're going to take a break. Chris and I will get back with Helen. Talk about Fastest Finger first. Thank you, Corey. Coming on. We'll see you next time. Push those quiz buttons. What? I say thank you. Gotta push those quiz buttons. (laughs) There's a a Sket Dance episode with quiz buttons. Quiz ball. Is that what it was? That was a good episode. I didn't see Sket Dance. Actually, it's all like three three episodes of Sket Dance. Sket Dance is so good. I never finished Uh, it. I know. I really love those Uh, three episodes. Uh, <laughs> I'm at least I, w- I at least was in the 20s when I, I, I stopped watching it. Perhaps that will be our next podcast. Here we go. All I had to do was search Sket Dance quiz. We need to do Dando too, though. We need to do Dando. I'm so upset. I Corey. did that. Nope. <laughs> I just said I would do it two years ago. <laughs> Are you sure you want to do that? Like Dango? Yes. Yes. Why? We have to accurately record all the sports anime. <laughs> I mean, some things are better left buried. Nope. Look, you can buy copies of Dando for $5. That means the still? whole world needs to see it. <laughs> yes. Hasn't still. been scrubbed off the earth? No. We are back. Helen has joined us. Hello. And we're here to talk about, uh, what are we talking about? Fastest Finger First, otherwise known as Nanamaru Sandbox, which is uh, seven right, three wrong, I think. Um, except- or, or you can say it like 703X. <laughs> right. So I, I think we should stop right here. This needs to be addressed now, because this was confusing the crap out of me. So one of the quote-unquote questions that we got was from fellow Taiku co-host Corey, who said that the the Japanese title is 70s 3X. No, like 703X. It's 70. So, 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 so I saw it, but no, the way that he typed it was very specifically 70s space 3X, like three times. And so, and then watching the show, of course, it says 703X the animation. None of this makes any sense to me. What the heck does that have to do with the price of rice in China? I think the fastest finger first is just the localization title. It's just yeah, really dirty sounding, which is hilarious since the manga is from a mangaka who usually does BL, but this isn't one of her BL titles. And fastest <laughs> finger first and 703X all refer to parts of the quiz bowl. Like fastest finger first is one of the rounds and 703 is the like seven right you win. If you don't talk, nothing happens. Three wrong, you lose. Oh, so the 703, that's like one of the, the modes of the quiz bowl. Yep. Yeah. Like they didn't use it for all the tournaments, but that's definitely one of them. I think that's where the overall name of the story came from. 
because my brain first just sounds oh my god sounds so dirty yes it does yeah my brain never connected that i was just every time i would look at the opening would like the hell is 703x the animation <laughs> like what is the actual That's what you're watching chris because <laughs> I, I knew fastest finger first was more of the localization but i'm just like what is the actual name of this show i don't understand because i thought it was something like a uh, show by rock where they would do sb9 because nine is roku and oh the transliteration of rock is roku i get it funny japanese puns i thought it was something like that and i just mm-hmm. could not grab it uh, nope. It is just the quiz show thing is seven right, you win, three wrong, you lose. Ah, so anticlimactic. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you are watching the quiz show, I mean, an anime quiz bowl, so I mean, anticlimactic. What are you talking about? Show as well? this, is, this is the most exciting thing. Well, before we uh, get into the show itself, um, we, we all saw this uh, initial promotional art, and the promotional art had what appeared to be Pidge from Voltron. Uh, <laughs> Helen, were you, like, all in at the time, or were you still completely? I'd actually known about the series for a couple of years. Um, there was a Scanlation group I followed who was translating the manga for this, like, three or five years ago, actually. It was one of those ones where I glanced at it and I was like, oh, this is never going to get an anime. But I was aware that there was a Quiz Bowl manga before this. I just Voltron hadn't come out for another couple of years, so I looked at it again and I was like, it Pidge or Matt, this is what Matt Holt is doing while he's missing during the main season of Voltron. He's in some, <laughs> he's in some anime playing Quiz Bowl. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, that's ridiculous. Um... Yeah, I, saw, I remember seeing several tweets at you that was like, did you see this thing that has Pidge in it? <laughs> I think I was probably the one doing the tweets, but yeah. <laughs> it's just a striking resemblance. It's, I'm still cracking up about it. I don't, I don't even know if you can call it resemblance. Like, I think the makers of Go Lion could probably file a suit. <laughs> that's 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 straight up character theft. Well, no, because the original manga came out before the... Um, Voltron reboot came out, and if you look at the original Go Lion Voltron Pigeon, there it looks totally different. <laughs> I think he looks the same. Tomato, tomato. I think the original Pidge from Voltron, because that's all I'm familiar with. I don't watch the new stuff. Like, I think he still looks the same. I mean, A, you need to watch the new stuff, and B, original Pidge had, like, Super Saiyan hair. But these are things I do not recall. <laughs> I have all of these Voltron things. And this is not this is not at all what I recall. Uh, I'm googling it right now. Don't Google Voltron because it only gives you new things. <laughs> yeah, a little bit on the Voltron hair, but when he puts the helmet on, you can't tell the difference. It's They're different helmets, <laughs> different colors. Uh, whatever. <laughs> oh, it's still green. It's like different green. Oh God, it's still green. You can tell. Uh, well, this is not a Voltron podcast, Chris. Sorry. I brought it up. I'm kidding. Anyway, um, fastest finger first. What is this, what is this thing about? Chris, do you want to break it down? Um, I'll try. It's a quiz bowl show. Wow. No, um, so, Pidge, I don't even remember his name. Like, I don't, I don't think I ever learned his name. Like, they just would say things and I would be like, that's this Pidge character. Um. Koshiyama, was it? Oh yeah. See? Yeah, I remember he, the one's name. He just he just started high school 
and he's a super bookworm nerd dude. And during the opening ceremonies, the ridiculous quiz bowl leader who looks like a dude from another anime that I could not put my finger on the whole time I was watching this and it upset me. Um, <laughs> pulls random people from the, the, the new students to come up and participate in this quiz bowl. And one thing leads to the next. He joins the quiz bowl. They're not really a club because they don't have five members yet. I can't remember the, the terminology they use, but they're like a, a just a group. Um, but the, the type of quiz bowl, it's the, it's the competitive buzz in, um, type of quiz bowl. So it's not like Jeopardy where one person gets to focus or, or anything like that. They ask a crazy question that you have to have psychotically memorized and be able to guess what the rest of the question is so that you can buzz in before the question is asked. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the whole 12 or 13 episodes is really just the main character learning how the quiz bowl works and starting to get his feet wet. We don't really get into it. So it, this is really like the, this is the epitome of a primer for please go buy the manga type of anime. It really is. Since I was looking at the ending sequence for the last episode and I was like, do they go to America at some point in the manga? Like, does one of the characters cut her hair? Like, is this, I'm trying to get me interested because I'm just confused. <laughs> but it, but it, it's, it is hot-blooded, super exciting quiz bowl action. You've never been more excited to watch someone push a button before the next person pushed a button and figure out what the question was and answer it. You this is some things good. Too. I still swear to God that if you were trying to make a parody of a sports manga, this is exactly what you'd come up with. <laughs> <laughs> that you'd be like, what is the least sports thing I can make? Quiz Bowl. And let's give it all of the traditional sports anime archetypes. We'll have all the characters, the rivalries, the training, you know, the weird strategies. We'll have it all. <laughs> awesome. Yes, it does. It feels like a parody, but it's totally 100% sincere. And that she sincerity. She's throwing me off. I'm like, this has got to be a parody, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that sincerity is what makes it. It's what elevates it so high because it is absolutely ridiculous and they are going for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But because... you spend an inordinate amount of episodes. Like, of the 13 episodes, I think a good, like, seven of them are literally just watching people behind a table answer questions. Like it's yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy. You learn some stuff though. I I learned things when I was watching it. I did not retain that information, so I don't know how far I could say I learned. I'm not sure I even learned anything. Well, I did learn that there is some formula that you can use to plug in the date to figure out what day of the week it is. I never knew about that, but there's no way I can reuse that in life. Or remember what the formula is off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I'm not. I finished that part of college. I'm not memorizing any more formulas unless I have to. <laughs> now you can memorize the formula. I still got that stupid Pythagorean thing stuck in my brain, and I don't mess with no triangles ever. But, but that's still, because that's got, like, only three parts to it. That one's easy. It's true. True. Also, it was on well, Blinky's we World once, so I remember it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you young people in that terrible show. Yeah, it's funny. When I was in middle school, I was in a quiz bowl style club. It was called Battle of the Books. I don't know if if it's exclusive to North Carolina or not, but it's a totally different kind of quiz bowl thing. It's based off of um, knowledge from a set series of books that they um, make the list for every year. And so I was just really infuriated by the quiz bowl here where they're trying to buzz in before they even know the full question because they've just kind of memorized everything. That just really pissed me off, actually. (laughs) 
So I had I have to ask you this, Corey. Why did you force Helen here? Because I remember very distinctly she said she dropped the show because she did not like the style <laughs> of Quiz Bowl. But yet you 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 basically like strong armed her like a mafia <laughs> a mafia dude into this. What's going on there, buddy? Because he's awesome. <laughs> no, you must finish it because it's terrific. Well, no, I, thought I think it's an. I was already planning on having you on the podcast, so you better finish. <laughs> and I, I don't really, or I didn't really think that you had to finish it, rather than like just being able to uh, somewhat contribute to the discussion on the show. Um, but I, I, I mean, there's I, no way I'm coming on a podcast without having seen the full show. <laughs> sure, you can. <laughs> We've had several <laughs> manga podcasts where someone has not finished the entire thing except. Well, that's been you that's guys. It hasn't been me so far. It's definitely been me. <laughs> I have standards, Corey. <laughs> <sighs> when I was watching this, um, and I would like, if I was to suggest this to someone else, and they were into sports anime or just like ridiculous things, I would, I would say, yeah, go ahead and watch this if you're interested in RA because it's already. Or it's just like this ridiculous show about quiz bowl. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would call it an intentional comedy or not, but the fact that it's so passionate about something that's kind of only sort of a sport <laughs> makes the comedy regardless. See, I think it is intentional. Like I, every bit of this seems like it, it's it has this level of timing where where it does something ridiculous, but at the right timing to make you laugh. Oh, I like this about absolute territory in the show. And that was I didn't nice. that know about that one. I didn't know about it either. How many nights uh, do you guys know about this? Is it cosplay? I don't know. No, it's a fetish thing. People have been talking about it on the web since I got on. I don't know if I'm into <laughs> fetishes. I don't know. Like, 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 I understand what it was and that that was a thing. And now it's nice to just have. I didn't. I didn't know it had a phrase. I didn't know that there was a term for it. Do you and know that there are also grades of absolute territory? No. no. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> a part of me thinks I should Google this, but I know that that would be a very bad decision. <laughs> eh, not that real, not that much, honestly. But but I was very I was very excited to learn this because yes, I did not know that that was. A thing. <laughs> well, I hear somebody googling it in the background. <laughs> Corey, definitely not me. <laughs> it's absolutely Wait. you. There is an A N N article from September 15th of this year that he's describing Absolute Territory. What? <laughs> I don't remember this coming out. Oh, God. Well, I guess there... one of the funny things about this quiz bowl is that they have questions from every kind of topic on there, so you have, like, the really weird otaku questions coming up along with date questions and then a healthy dose of um, Christianity-related questions in the last um, arc of the show. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. No, no, I, I thought it was like really cool, though. Yeah, it, it was hosted and, and created by the, the Christian private girls' school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the part where they were all wearing nuns' outfits, that was really weird. The part where they just used their knowledge to try and trip everyone else up about um, Christian-related terms and stuff, that wasn't weird. I thought that was pretty smart, actually. Yeah. And then Koshiyama is, like, constantly overthinking the question and then getting some ridiculously obscure answer that maybe two other people in the room know. But no, but the best part that, is, is he, he impressed everybody, though. He, they were like, oh, shit, how did he know about that? He's going to be the greatest quiz bowl master of all time if he just figures out how to play the game correctly. 
because he's overthinking this. Like, he knows the answer, but he's like, wait, but they're making it complicated in this way. It's like, no, they're making it complicated in a different, simpler way. I was impressed, though. I didn't know that the street that Jesus walked down when he was on his way to crucifixion, I didn't know that street had a name and that there was any reason for anybody to know what the name of that street was. I mean, of course they had names. I mean, you've always had to name streets. How else are you supposed to tell anyone how to get around otherwise? This was 2,000 years ago. There could have been only, like, one street for all I know. No, Jerusalem was like a legit city. 2,000 years ago. Yes, Jerusalem is old. You know, the corner of Via Dolorosa and 15th Street is where Jesus died or whatever. And 15th? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I thought the way that um, Koshiyama was just overthinking all the questions to make him feel like a real rookie genius you see in other sports shows. Like, they've got the raw talent, but they don't have the experience yet to pull it through. Like, he's got all this raw knowledge in his mind from reading and remembering so many different things. He just doesn't have enough time yet to put everything together to figure out the levels of difficulties of questions and that um, emphasis they're putting on the phrasing and stuff like that. Which actually reminded me a lot of Chayafuru when they started talking about, oh, a really skilled reader will put a little bit of emphasis on one word over another to emphasize that's related to the answer and stuff like that. That was, yeah, that I thought that too, because that was, that's like straight up one of the plot points though in this show. It's like, if you listen to the question reader, the question reader puts emphasis on a different thing and you can magically divinate um, <laughs> what type of question it is. And that narrows down your possibilities of what the question could be. Bah. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly entertaining, but that is not my level. And it will never be my level because I don't <laughs> care. Like I'll, I'll know stupid, pointless trivia and I'll partake in trivia things because it's fun. But no, sir, this this type of competition is not for me. <laughs> I mean, the trivia nights I go to these days, there are ones where if there's a tie, it's resolved via dance-off, so clearly I participate in some different kinds of trivia. <laughs> also, they're held in a bookstore which serves alcohol in the philosophy section, so definitely not high school. Nice. And that was one of the things, those like, oh, these characters are, you know, so quick to pick up on these strategies and techniques by the readers, and it's like, y'all are high school students. Some of y'all are middle school students. I really don't think y'all have enough focus for this. <laughs> Speaking of somebody with younger siblings and cousins and own memories of high school and middle school, no. No. These are special middle school students and high school students. They they remember <laughs> everything and have all the focus. Well, see, but there there's special Quiz Bowl arcade games that apparently exist that are training tools that you can just go to the arcade and obsess over trivia questions. <laughs> Did either of you guys look that up since I saw that in the show and I was like, I have no idea if that's an actual arcade game or not. Since we don't really have arcades in the U.S. anymore. No, I did not look it up. I just, I just, I assumed it was either fake or an elaborate version of the bar trivia game that has a little, like, tablet on each table. And just left it at that. Oh, okay. I thought you meant, like, the bar exam at first. And I was like, why are they making trivia games about the lawyer bar exam? Like, No, no, drinking bars. Ah, this makes much more sense. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia has a list of quiz arcade game article. Okay, then. <laughs> Thank it's you, the crowdsourced Wikipedia. Yeah, there's a bunch, apparently. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this whole show is ridiculous. It's true. There's a lot under Q for some reason. For question? For quiz. Mm. There are none that start with question. 
Anyway. Anyway, I'm trying to look at the Wikipedia page because my memory is bad, and I cannot find the name because the Wikipedia page is not um, does not use complete sentences. It just has names listed. What was the name of the rival that he met? Uh, it was a Mikuria. Okay, he is. His name is not on this list. No wonder I was having such a hard time finding him. It's the fourth one down. What? But he's the, you, but oh, he's the rival. Is. He's very important. <laughs> It is the fourth one down. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read either today. I'm sleepy. <laughs> so sleepy, Audrey. I bring up The Rival because that was... So you, you said that the manga author is known for BL, and that is very, very apparent with this whole rivalry relationship. And quote, rivalry. <laughs> quote, unquote. <laughs> It was probably my favorite part of the show because Mikuria is totally the Sundere character. It's like, mm-hmm. I will get my revenge on you, but you won. You will get better and I will beat you again. It's because like, he lost one question or he didn't know something twice. No, no. He, he, it was, he was working on solving the question and Koshiyama illegally from the crowd shouted out the answer. Right. And but but Mikuria also- was like, he he knew he would have gotten the answer. It was just that Koshiyama got it before him. Right. But then also <gasps> he knew what Via Dolorosa was and Mikuria didn't. And he's like, what is that? I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life now. It's funny because the relationship actually just reminded me a lot of the rivalries in Haikyuu, which is also not BL, but is heavily aimed at a female audience. I can't really <laughs> tell if this is supposed to be more aimed at a female audience or a male audience. I'm pretty sure the series is shonen, but it's like... It's a, it, runs, it runs in a seinen magazine, according to Wikipedia. Oh, that's even weirder. I mean, they do the same thing in the Yolabega with, like, uh, Makashima and Toto. So. Mm. Like, I feel like this is for the female fans, but frankly, the characters just aren't interesting enough to attract a lot of female fans, so... <laughs> well, when, you're, when the best character in the show is the female character, I mean, it makes sense who the real target audience is. Now, are we talking about the quiz bowl player or the one who's making all the um, quiz bowl buttons for them? <laughs> the quiz bowl player. Well, no, that's a good question because they're both strong contenders. Mm-hmm. They're both strong contenders. I was I was taken with Fukami the whole time, but then when Mini Sasajima showed up with her ridiculous, I'm basically Ed from Cowboy Bebop. Um, Longer hair. Yeah. I'm just so confused why she is an accent and her brother doesn't have the same accent. I'm just really confused about that. Did the show explain that part? I don't remember. Oh, it's, no, it sounds familiar. They, well, they at least talked about it. I don't know if they answered it, but they did address it mm-hmm. at one, in that episode. Probably like Picard from Star Trek. Oh, I went to England for one month, so I lost my French accent completely, and now I speak with an English accent. <laughs> Hey, that's not that's not entirely un, unreasonable, sir. I am known to go into bouts of New York accents for no good damn reason, and I only lived there for like three years of my life, and my life is very long at this point. It's also three years, <laughs> as opposed to. But it was up, but it was upstate New York on top of it, where they don't really have that accent. Yeah, I'm wondering if she and her brother lived apart, since her brother is the captain of the team i forget his name and we know that he went to a different high school for a year but then he is mysteriously transferred over to this high school now and left behind a series of um, broken hearts amongst his fellow team members so. it was never resolved no that was the real bl draw there it's like you see like 
you see like the former members being like, we miss you so much. You made such an impression on us. And I'm like, that is the BL draw there. There must be so many Dojin amongst those circles. Maybe it's just like they're trying to appeal to both, but not really satisfying either. <laughs> because they do have that anime nerd that knows all the anime stuff. And they have the one scene that spent a lot of time describing absolute territory. But then they also have these fucking relationships that are sort of BL-ish, but not really. Yeah, if we didn't know that the manga cob was known for doing BL, would we be thinking of these in terms of BL relationships? Yes, absolutely. Really. <laughs> you would? Okay. I went to this, I said, I felt like these are a lot like the Haikyuu <laughs> ones, which also isn't BL, but clearly, Chris, you thought differently. <laughs> Chris is heavily into the BL life. <laughs> Chris is already shipping the characters. I don't even know if that's true or not, but it's entirely correct. And I'm just like, yep. <laughs> He's read all the fanfics and archive of our own, which is probably only like five for the show, but. <laughs> I, I think it's your pet's fault. Probably. I mean, a, a lot of like these sports anime nowadays have those BL undertones, or at least the internet makes them have the BL undertones. No way, man. That's totally canon. Like, you cannot watch Yoapetta or even, like, the rivalry in this show and not be like, wait a minute. <laughs> Yoapetta has given Chris a different dimension at looking at sports anime. He now considers even more possibilities than he did before. <laughs> I can ship with all fingers behind my back. <laughs> <sighs> oh, boy. Where did this conversation go? To be <laughs> <laughs> Too bad there's not that much to talk about the show because really not that much happens. Do we want more of this or do we want the the manga to get licensed? I'm still torn on that because I really enjoyed this series, but obviously it doesn't it's not intended to be a series that stands alone. It's an advertisement for the manga and that upsets me. I want both. I'm pretty neutral on it. Like, I don't feel like this is the best place for the anime to end. It was a fairly good place, just not quite the best. But I'm not sure I'd really be that interested in reading the manga to see if, how far farther it goes. Although if anyone does, please tell me if they do go to America or not. It's kind of confused. <laughs> I was like, do they go to America? That's what this is lying here. Why are they having a quiz bowl in front of the Statue of Liberty? Why are you doing that, folks? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? This is not what you do in New York. You should know this, Chris. <laughs> I, I think I'd actually prefer more anime because one thing I loved about the anime is we're talking about how it's basically a parody, but it's totally sincere and it's heartfelt and they're going for it and they believe in it. The music is probably the music in this series stands out more to me than almost any other series that I've watched in the last year because it's so psychotic. Like they're, they're sitting there and they, they got their tense face on and they're like, I'm going to hit this button. And all of a sudden, really loudly, like it's not even in the background, this psychotic like anthrax style 80s heavy metal starts jumping in and starts. And then, and then, and then you have the voiceover. Oh, God, A to B to Z to Z to Z to It's so exciting. I want more of it just because of the music, really. I hope they didn't make an impression on me at all. Yeah, I don't no? remember any of the music. Like, that was the only thing I picked up on because it was so, it was like metal and punk and really energetic and loud, but it but it came at like the most inopportune times because it was just silly. And so that's why it stuck out to me. And I think I, think I might prefer more anime over the manga just so I can get more of that. 
But if nobody else noticed, then I'm apparently a broken person and just need to buy the soundtrack. Like because I never remember the music, so I wouldn't blame you for that. <laughs> yeah, I just all didn't this, notice any soundtracks from the show at all. Nothing really stuck out to me that much. All this incredible techno music that has the metal background. I forgot about the techno part of it. So it's like da 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 Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Not ringing any bells. Although that makes it even harder for me to believe that this is just a serious, genuine sports <laughs> series and not a parody if even the music is playing around like that. It's both. It's incredible. Okay. Where were I think we? You should get the soundtrack. I think I should. <laughs> Time to get some Japanese iTunes going. Get that. Oh, I already got it all set up because I used to do that a lot. I just don't. I just have to get a gift card. <laughs> Speaking of, I should log into Japanese iTunes and see what they got going on. Not right now. Oh, sorry. I get excited. <laughs> uh, I have no idea where we were. We were listening to me babble ridiculously about the music that nobody else heard or remembered. Okay. And that was really it. So we can just jump to any other topic. Just get the spotlight uh, well, off of me. Helen, do you regret finishing the show? Not really. I've just gotten more aggressive in dropping shows I'm not interested in since I've got a really big backlog, so I'm trying to focus more on watching things I'm really, really into. But this wasn't a terrible show or anything. It was just a tad sillier than I wanted out of a sports show. I don't regret <laughs> watching it. You need to watch you Becca. No, that one's long. I don't think I have time for that. It is the best show ever. You were watching Gundam. I'm watching different parts of Gundam, so not all of Gundam. A single part of Gundam is longer than the second and third season put together. No, like I'm watching like 08 MS Team right now, and that's only 12 episodes, so. Oh, cheater. No, I'm just going in chronologically. I have my Gundam plan, guys. I've got my Gundam plan. (laughs) Well, looks good. I'm glad I didn't waste your time, at least. Nah. Although I really do wish some of the pictures had circulated more from the series, just to, like, mess around with Voltron fans, be like, oh, I've seen that whole, here's where he's been the whole time. Because <laughs> I only saw, like, one or two people doing that, and I really wish that had turned into, like, a giant fandom meme, because that just would have been funny to watch. Maybe it was on Tumblr. I'm not on there anymore. Uh, I'm on Tumblr. I didn't see it there, so. Okay. That's disappointing, then. That would be hilarious. Anyway, um... I think we've exhausted the mess from your first knowledge. Uh, there's not much to talk about. As Chris said, there's like seven episodes full of just the quiz. One thing I want to, I want, I do want to ask about because it's something that that was kind of bugging me while watching it, but I wasn't sure. Is that one character? I can't remember their name. It's the little brother of the the leader of the quiz bowl in the uh, Christian school. Uh, so yeah, the one who's messing around with everyone. Yeah, the one the one who is a complete asshole and was like fucking with everybody. Is that totally an insensitive stereotype that that character is playing or what? Like I couldn't quite pin on it because is he dressing up as a girl because he wants to like and that's his thing or is that part of him being an asshole? I couldn't figure that out and it kind of was bugging me the, during that whole time. Like was yeah, this I know part what of you mean. I was scheme? kind of assuming both like he enjoyed dressing up but it also seems like everything he enjoys doing is to get a rise out of other people. So I feel like the two might just be intertwined at this point. Yeah. 
What was that character's name? Oh my god. <laughs> I disliked him enough I didn't even try to remember. Wait, physics Sonohara? Is there two Sonoharas in this list? Which is why I'm watching myself. The names were not important in this show, apparently. I remember none of their names. I mean, everyone looked distinct enough that you didn't need to remember names, so... Sure, that's good. That's right. You only had to care about three three or four characters. Everybody else was totally fodder. Oh, and the younger brother was also where the show made its most jokes about being BL, since there's him and the president of his club... And they're having, like, intense conversations, and, like, all the girls are just going, oh, my God, two boys. I really have to wonder if high school girls in Japan are really that interested in guys making out, since in my co-ed high school here in the U.S., we were not interested. Not really. Well, uh, yes, it is Sonora, but uh, I don't think they're listed on here. Okay. Which is annoying. I don't know if I can help with that question or not. Yes, and said you guys went to all girls schools in Japan, so. <laughs> well, not just that, but in some of the schools I went to, the the girls totally were were all about dudes dudes kissing. Um, that is something that I was I was exposed to because most of most of my friends when I was in middle and high school were females, so. I did also go to a legit Catholic school, so. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I went to, to to heathen schools where everybody was doing doing drugs and terrible things. Public school. No, I mean, they do that in Catholic school, too. They would find used panties on stage a couple of times during the year, so. (laughs) Nobody pretended in public school, though. It was all out in the open. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they put in cameras in our ninth grade school because we have a ninth grade school for some reason. Um, Because someone was, like, having sex under the staircase or something. (laughs) Let's get on to the Twitter questions. At least those were less disgusting. <laughs> Twitter questions. Okay. All right. Well, the only Twitter question was from Corey, um, and it was about whether uh, Nanamaru Sandbox makes sense in context of the show, which we sort of touched on. Uh, well, he also asked which is faster, the left hand or the right hand, so... I'm going to answer that. <laughs> it's your dominant hand. Your dominant hand's going to be the faster one. Uh, yeah, whichever one pushes your button the quickest. Or if you're ambidextrous. What? Or if you're ambidextrous. Well, you can no. answer twice, right? That's how this works. You can just have two buzzers. <laughs> yeah, like well, like in that one scene where you grab the two buzzers and you the, you set them on top of each other and you just smack it and both buzzers go off at the same time. Oh, and did you guys feel like they were kind of playing that scene up to be like a little weirdly sexual? Like Koshiyama yeah. was like blushing and everything. Yeah, that, that's okay. why I was like shocked when you were like, it, it, if it wasn't for the fact, like no, no, there's totally BL undertones throughout this whole thing. <laughs> point yeah but that wasn't with his rival though that was with the um the jerk yeah uh was that the only question really all the other ones were for aoyama kun yep does that mean nobody else watched this incredibly entertaining quiz bowl show all right well so dana then. also had a question for you guys about ads which i can't answer but <laughs> that's that's for aoyama yeah, too as well oh okay Sorry, guys. <laughs> but look, uh, for all the questions that were not asked, which the only question should be, should you watch the show? My answer is yes. If you've always won, always said, I wanted to see a sports anime, but about a really weird sport, this should be your thing. While I'm still waiting for my curling sports anime, this was this was, this was was good for that that extreme odd niche. So I appreciate Yeah, curling would that. be a weird sports anime, yeah. I'm waiting for it. It's going to happen one day. You know it. They should make cross-managing to an anime. I've had some people tell me 
Girls Manage isn't that good, so... Like, don't listen to them. They're wrong. It's only four volumes, and it was good. It should have been longer. It's a shame that it was four volumes. Cross Manage, for those who don't know, is a lacrosse sports manga, so... Yeah. And, um... I think he's one of the... Yeah, for curling, now I'm just imagining, like, a Canadian-Japanese copro. Sure. Maybe the Japanese curling team is going to be really good in 2018, next year. So. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they want them to be good, so they're going to make the curling anime <laughs> to increase interest <laughs> in the curling team so that they can come back in 2022 or whatever and totally win the gold. There we go. <laughs> it's happening. Oh. I really do hope that there's going to be more sports anime coming out in the next couple of years as we get closer to 2020 in Tokyo, since I imagine folks have got to be looking back and thinking, oh, this would be a really good time to put out a sports anime while interest is really high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, in my heart, I wish for it. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to ask both of you guys while we're here, since the fall season's just starting up, are there any sports shows in the fall season that you're looking forward to? Since not everything's premiered yet, but a good chunk of the season has. Are there any sports shows? I didn't even notice Food if Wars. there were any. Uh, I mean, there's Love Live, which you guys seem to consider a sports show. There's I don't that, serious sporting, okay? <laughs> and there's that two-car racing one, which I think counts as a sport. Uh, Marsh comes in like a lion. Oh, yeah. Technically a sport because it's about chess, so absolutely. And Food Wars. Wait, is Food Wars a sports show now? It's totally a sports show. <laughs> Isn't it a battle show? Yeah. It's basically Chopped. Is Chopped a sports show? Yeah. Should Chopped be on ESPN? Yeah. It should. <laughs> this podcast is such loose definitions of what counts to do. <laughs> Look, we are clueless podcast. Anything good? <laughs> We're doing a Yu Yu Hakusho series. Yu Hakusho is a sport. It's the sport of killing demons. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so Ink already... Inc. showed interest in wanting to do a podcast of two car, and apparently it has some relation, either tangentially or related to Bakuan. So because they're both about cars or motor vehicles. Bikes. Motor vehicles. So I guess I guess we'll watch that at some point. But I'm not exactly looking forward to two car because <laughs> I did not want to watch Bakuan either. <laughs> uh, but March comes in like a lion is one of the best shows. Of recent years, I love the crap out of that, so of course I will be watching that. Yeah, we'll be on all in for that. Um, anime strike might have something like oh, Kakegurui, I think, is technically a sport. Yeah, that's Which, gambling. I read the first volume of the manga for that. That was I actually like the manga more than I expected. I got the second volume just uh, just yesterday, so I got uh, that's on my queue to read. And next year, sometime when Netflix releases the anime, I'm definitely watching it. Mm-hmm. I look. Yep. Oh, well, well, let's close this thing out. Um, any closing thoughts on Fast Finger First slash Nanamaru Sandbox? I want to know why does the club president's glasses like always reflect light, so you can't see his face? How does that work? Everyone like, is he just blinded all the time. Reflect light. <laughs> no, that's not how mine work. <laughs> no, I mean everyone. But in the show. You don't have anime glasses. You have real world glasses. You need you need special anime glasses. They're made of. You know, like mirror, like half mirror aviator style, but but they're see through. They're they're special. You have to you have to get the special glasses for that. Sorry. Yeah, that that one was just pushing the realism too far for me. It's like when you mess with the glasses, it's just like I can't believe you anymore. I can't believe you show about competitive quiz bowls. 
Maybe it was Megan A. Boo that he was reminding me of. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I love that show. No, he looks a little good. bit like Sakamoto, with, but with messier hair. Hmm. He, I can see that, too. Yes. Look, he's like a relatively milquetoast-looking guy with glasses and anime. But he's the super badass one because you can tell because when he pushes his glasses up, he's got those two, that middle finger and that ring finger. He's just scowling at you the whole time, like, bring it, motherfucker. What? <laughs> like, he's so good. Those are good glasses. <laughs> All right. Close uh-huh. this podcast out. I'm so sorry. Chris, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, on the Twitters at GoKoofy. Or you can yell at me through the Taiku podcast Twitter as well, and I, I will pay attention sometimes. Helen? Uh, you can also find me on the Twitters at WanderDreamer. I am still cursed with the 140 character limit. I do not have the 280 limit, which makes me really sad. And you can also fo- find me on our spinoff podcast, Manga in Your Ears. And it's a good podcast, guys. You do other stuff. Yeah, um, I also do a bit of writing on my own blog, Narrative Investigations, which is dying because I'm in grad school, so it's not quite there yet. And I'm still doing pretty regular reviews over at the Organization for Antisocial Geniuses, and I'm still co-host of the podcast over there. It's not my fault the OASG podcast is not popular. Which really sounds like I'm apologizing every single time I have to give out his name. <laughs> I didn't come up with the title. I didn't come up with the title. <laughs> Blame Justin. Damn it, Justin. Um, I'm on Twitter at Impassionate K. This podcast is on Twitter at Taiku Podcast. D-A-I-I-K-U. And we have a website at TaikuPodcast.com where you can find all of our episodes relatively organized. Thank you guys for coming out and talking about uh, where we talked about Fast Finger first. <laughs> Aoyama, I think you guys are doing next. Clean Freak. Mm, yep, that'll be a different episode, though. Unless I decide to book them together. In which case, I'm going to have to do some fancy editing like I did with you, Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Corey. <laughs> Shall we get started? <sighs> I'll take those exasperated sighs as yeses. What are we I thought about? Chris was the one who was excited about this show. I just I just ate really oh. fat fattening hamburgers and I'm just very lackadaisical at this point. <laughs> you put that food coma setting in. You betcha.